Welcome to 1001 Radio Crime Solvers Podcast. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we want 1001 Radio Crime Solvers to be your favorite place to go to enjoy a great mix of vintage detective shows from the golden age of radio. The scripts were great, the action was hot, and even the old commercials are enjoyable. And now, another episode of 1001 Radio Crime Solvers is ready to go. Enjoy! The story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a burglary detail. For the past 18 weeks, a gang of safe men have been breaking into large grocery stores all over the city. They work fast. You can't localize their operations. Your job? Get them. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Wednesday, September 16th. It was hot in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of burglary detail. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Captain Wisdom. My name's Friday. It was 7.45 a.m. when I got to the service station on the corner. The phone booth. Five two four, please. Two five two four. Burglary rubles. Hi, Dick. This is Friday. Romero there. Hold on, Joe. Thank you. Hey, Romero, take two. Romero. This is Friday, Ben. Yeah, where you been? Well, my car again. Something's wrong with that distributor. I'm gonna leave it at the service station. I'll grab a streetcar down, huh? They hit again, Joe. This one makes thirty-seven jobs. Where at this time? Wilson Brothers Market, Melrose and Green. Drilled a safe and walked out with four hundred and sixty-two dollars. Well, our stakeouts are doing a lot of good, aren't they? I'm worn out from last night. I didn't get any sleep either. Just had time to go home and brush my teeth when this thing broke. Okay. You said Melrose and Green? Yeah, that's right. I won't wait for you. I'll go right on out there. Okay. Armstrong and Rubel just left. Right. I can get over there as fast as I can. Old man was down here bright and early. Things are jumping. Okay. I'll see you later, huh? Oh, uh, Joe, just a minute. Yeah. Skipper just came in. Who you got on the other end there? Friday. You're on your way to Melrose and Green? That's right. The minute you get back, I want to see you two in my office. Right. I guess you heard him. Yeah, I did. Guess you could tell from the tone of his voice. Yeah. Sounds a little upset. How's he look? Same way. For 18 weeks, Ben and I had been assigned to this same case. The burglary gang was victimizing only Wilson Brothers markets throughout the city and in surrounding towns adjacent to the city of Los Angeles. Their criminal activities had given them well over $100,000 stolen from these various markets. Additional officers were assigned from the Metropolitan Division, and the case had grown to large proportions. It was 12 minutes past 8 when I arrived at Melrose and Green Streets, the latest Wilson market to be victimized. Same thing, Joe, just like all the rest. Yeah. 
the crime lab find anything? Been here and gone. They found a few particles of cloth, probably from the guy's gloves, some metal shavings for spectrographical analysis. Same as on all the other jobs. Mm. Well, how'd they gain entry? Same way, around front. Looks like a tire iron. Pried the door open. How about the burglar alarm? No problem. There's a ladder. Climb up and take a look. Yeah. See it? Yeah, I see it. Cut the key leads again, huh? Nothing's different, Joe. Just exactly the same. All around. Well, that really tears it, doesn't it? Yeah. 252 men on stakeout last night, and they know just which market to hit, one that isn't covered. When you figure Wilson's got over 300 stores, we can't cover them all. Mm. I think we might have some of the luck. We're sure overdue. Nobody could be this lucky this long. Well, they're out to break the record. Haven't turned up anything new at all, huh? Not so far. I've been looking around. Come on. Yeah. Rubles and Armstrong in the store? Yeah, they're checking the back of the store. Stock room. Employees locker room. And how much was taken? Told you on the phone, $462. Some checks, about $200 worth. Well, this is Wednesday. I suppose the thieves have discontinued the weekend jobs? I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. Here's the box. Yeah. Sure, a good, clean job. A lot different than those first ones, huh? Yeah, they've come a long way. Well, the safe was certainly well-lighted, wasn't it? 200-watt bulb up there. Mm -hmm. Still burning when we got here. Doesn't do much good with all those boxes piled up over there in front of the window, though. Manager says he went there when he closed up last night. Well, nothing seems to bother them, does it? They move in, don't chance turning out the light. They just pile crates up between themselves and the street, and then they take their time drilling the box. That's it. There's the usual empty pop bottles, three of them. Yeah, the cool a bits of it, yeah. Mm -hmm. Hi, Friday. Didn't know you were here yet. Oh, hello, Rubles. How are you? Yeah, but we got something. Yeah? Fish these out of the drain in the bathroom. What do you got? Looks like they tried to get rid of them. Some of the checks torn up and this fishing license ripped in two. Where could I see those bits? Hmm. Charles W. Royal, issued last month. Good chance he might have carried the license in his pocket and got it mixed up with the checks. First, maybe he was going to take the checks, but changed his mind, tore them up, the license with him. Well, let's hope you're right, Dick. But it might just belong to some employee here. Well, we've been kind of figuring these jobs might have an inside connection. Maybe this is it, huh? Let's check it out. Well, maybe this is the break we've been looking for. We went back to the office and checked the name Charles W. Royal through R&I. No record. We contacted the management of the Wilson Markets. He had been an employee at the store, which was just held up. He'd been transferred six months prior to their Van Nuys branch. In checking back, we found that the Van Nuys market was one of the first stores to be burglarized. He was placed under surveillance for several days, and during this period, another Wilson market was burglarized. The officers conducting the surveillance accounted for all of Royal's time during the burglary. He was brought in for questioning and cleared of any complicity in the burglaries. Monday, September 28th, 8 a.m., we met with Captain Wisdom. The reason for Royal's fishing license being in with those checks was because he left it behind at that store when he was transferred. That's right. Manager of the store confirmed it. Said he kept it in a safe form so it wouldn't get lost. Well, that lead went nowhere. None of them go anywhere. We don't get any leads. Been no kickbacks on any of our teletypes, APBs, or radiograms. Between Armstrong, Rubles, and Ben and I, the girls in the stats office think we're on the payroll down there. We're wearing out the cards having to make runs on the gang's M.O. for us. How about that last stuff Burton from CII sent down? Well, we checked all three of them out. Nothing. Boys in the crime lab got a lot of physical evidence if they could make something out of it. That's just it. You can't make something out of nothing. 
They haven't got much up there. A few steel shavings off those safes, a couple of broken bits, a handful of cotton fuzz they think is off the guy's gloves. Can't work miracles. Yeah, that's right. I don't think we've overlooked anything, Captain. Every neighborhood in the vicinity of every burglary has been checked and rechecked. And all you turned up was that one woman? Yeah, the one that saw the three men out in back of the Wilson Market over on Vermont. She thought they worked there. Didn't know she'd witnessed the burglary until we told her. Mm-hmm. She couldn't identify any of them, huh? No, she couldn't. I just checked with the sheriff's office. These burglaries are driving them crazy, too. No leads. Boys from the parole office have been trying to give us a hand. We've checked out everything they sent us on discharges and parolees. Nothing fits. Well, did the markets seem to be cooperating, holding up their end as they were instructed? Well, as far as we can tell, right to the letter, yeah. All the safes that were concealed in any way have been moved out in a more conspicuous spot, all well illuminated. The Wilson Company has bought better-made safes to replace the ones that were broken into. They're replacing their old models as fast as they can. Doesn't seem to stop them. Yeah, all that's according to the book. Doesn't figure with all those precautions. They'd be foolish enough to tip off the thieves. What do you mean? Well, here, Let's take a look at this. Yeah. Larson and Gunn turned this up at that Venice Boulevard job night before last. Mimeographed stakeout instructions. Huh? That's right. Put out by the management of the markets. Every time we informed them of a stakeout night, they put these interstore memos out. Yeah. That was for the purpose of informing all the different store managers of the police department's plans so they'd be sure and comply with our instructions. Yeah. Motive was okay, but the effects have been causing us more trouble than we know. Well, weren't these destroyed after the store managers read them? Apparently not. We'd notify the management of the stores to be staked out a week in advance so that they could quietly let the stores know about it, whether we wanted the lights left on or turned off to move the safe out of hiding, all the various instructions. And the management of the market chain just took it on themselves to send out these memeos sheets, huh? And not only that, in checking the last couple of jobs, either these sheets were in the manager's desks or they were posted in the store someplace. And all the thieves had to do was go through a desk or check a bulletin board and they knew right where we'd be. Huh? Without this advance information, maybe it'll slow them down. Maybe we can write in on part of the luck. We're due. Yeah. Now, come on over here to the pin map. Well, here you are, Friday. A red pin for you and one for you, Romero. Mm-hmm. You put them in. I got calluses on my thumb from trying to keep up with those thieves. Yeah. Well, Venice Boulevard and Rockwell. Mm-hmm. Vermont and Marathon. Yeah, just look at them on there. They're going to run us out of pins if we don't blow the whistle on them. Well, I'm getting a little sick of it myself. You take a good look at the map here. Yeah. All the red pins of these market jobs in and around here and through here. Mm-hmm. As you know, Wilson's got stores throughout most of Southern California. Yeah. They've hit in and around the metropolitan area, Pomona, Glendale, a couple of times at the beach cities. But look over here. It's Eagle Rock. Yeah. Now, for some reason, they're leaving Eagle Rock alone. Seven Wilson markets out there, and not one of them have been touched. Well, maybe they'll hit there next, huh? Yeah, we double-checked all cruiser units out there, told them to be doubly alert. Also to report any suspicious moves around any of the stores. I want to report in any and all cars driving below normal speeds anywhere near those markets. Anything even remotely out of line. There's seven stores in and around that area. Excuse me. Burglary wisdom. The high boy. Who's that? They did. Colorado and Bryce. Yeah, right away. Yeah. That was Lieutenant Vaughn, Highland Park. I was wrong. There's only six stores in Eagle Rock now. What do you mean? They knocked one over last night. 
preliminary investigation of the Wilson Brothers Market in Eagle Rock yielded no additional physical evidence, but it definitely showed that we were dealing with the same gang of thieves. In this last burglary, they got away with $1,852. 1.34 p.m. After five hours of continuous checking in the immediate neighborhood of the latest market to be burglarized, Ben and I located a Mrs. Olive Rebard. We felt sure that we'd reached a turning point in the case. Mrs. Rebard had seen two of the gang members at work in the Wilson Market at Colorado and Bryce in Eagle Rock. She agreed to come downtown and go through photographs of criminal suspects. No. No. Not any of these. Let's try the next two pages. Certainly are a lot of them, aren't there? Yes, ma'am. There's still a lot more to go here. Mm. I see it. No. No, none of these. Well, that finishes this book. How many does that make that we've been through? I believe this one makes 15. Just looking at all those faces makes you wonder, are there any honest people? Well, these books represent an accumulation of many years, you understand. You keep pictures of everybody? Ever been in prison? Well, within our jurisdiction, yes, and a great many more besides. I see. Ben, how about that Folsom book up there for 45 and 46? All right. I'll put this one back. Fine. 46. Yeah, that's it. All right, here we are. You ready, Mrs. Rebar? All right. That one fellow looked a little like one of them. I thought he did at first. Which one was that? This, uh, one? this one. Uh, no, I was I was wrong. He looked familiar at first glance. Well, now we told you before, Ms. Rebar, if any of these men, their ears, eyes, nose, chin, any part of them looks like any part of the men that you saw, we'd like to know that. We'll have our Sergeant Putt off up in our crime lab drop a composite for you. You mean you put all the different features together? Yes, ma'am. You think it might help in any way? I mean, it'll certainly help us. I didn't realize that you were that thorough. Well, we have to be. Well, I'm just not that sure about any of their features. It was just like I told you, I didn't get too good a look at them, but I thought I might remember. There's so many pictures here. Well, would you like to rest a little while, Ms. Rebar? We've been going at this thing for about two hours now. No, that's all right. No, I want to help if I can. I think I'll open this door a little, Joe. All right. Got a little draft in from the hall. There. Gets a little stuffy in here sometimes. Thank you. Well, if you'd like a cold drink of some kind, Coke, you, something like no, that. No, thank you. That's very kind. I don't care for one. All right. Would you like to go on? Yes, I guess. All right. No. You understand that when I saw these men in the store, I had to look through the front window. They must have been at least 40 feet away from me. I had a shout to be heard. Yes, ma'am. We understand. They didn't come over to me at all. Mm-hmm. I just can't believe that they were really those lightning burglars. Isn't that what the paper called them? Yes, ma'am. They, they were just just as big as life. They were standing behind the meat counter. They even had on butcher's aprons. still hard to believe because they didn't act like burglars at all. Sometimes they don't. Well, the only thing that struck me funny was that anybody be working there on a Sunday. I've seen men in there before. It just didn't seem right that they'd be working there. 
I wanted to get in to pick up a box of starch. They told me to come back Monday morning when they were open. Well, if you could have seen over the counter from where you were standing, you would have seen the floor safe right there in the meat department. They were trying to open it. I never would have known it. You're sure you people couldn't have made a mistake? Probably? No, ma'am. I don't think so. We've checked there, and there was no authorized employees in that store yesterday morning. That's so. Well, must have been them, then. Yeah, we're pretty sure it was. Yeah. Let me help you there, Mrs. Rebar. These pages are stuck together. Thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> there you are. I've seen so many photographs, they're all beginning to look alike to me. Mm-hmm. If you'd like to rest a while, that's fine. Maybe you'd like to go home and come back a little later. With it. You know something? What's that, ma'am? I'm positive now. Yeah. I wouldn't know those men if I saw them. You are listening to Dragnet. From beginning to end, Dragnet is the authentic story of your police force in action. Once more, what appeared to first be a good lead dissolved into nothing. The stakeouts were continued. Everything possible was being done to apprehend them. The burglaries of the Wilson markets continued. On the night of October 3rd, officers D.B. O'Connell and P.W. Murphy were working the stakeout on one of the Wilson markets in Eagle Rock. At 2.33 a.m., they had observed a gray Ford Coupe, California License 9 Robert 9813, driving at normal speed until reaching the storefront and then slowing down perceptibly, showing unusual interest in the market. Lieutenant Armstrong and Sergeant Rubles checked the license number through DMV. The car was registered to a Clyde R. Bingham. 233 South Carmona Place in Eagle Rock. He was placed under surveillance while we made a thorough check into his background. We located him at the neighborhood bar on Colorado Boulevard. We talked to him for an hour. So that's it. I'm not your man. You sure you didn't drive past that Wilson Market on Bellevue Avenue? I didn't say I've never driven by it, but not on the night you said. Well, have you driven by it on other nights? I wouldn't remember that. I live out here and I drive down Bellevue a lot, but I don't know if I've ever been by that market. Suppose I have. We have your license number and the word of two officers who sell you. I'm afraid they must be mistaken. You have the word of Benny and Walsh and just talked to them. They told you I was here on the night of October 3rd. I stayed here until almost daylight talking to Walt. He closed up at 2 and we sat around and talked. Well, Where did you say your car was parked all this time? Right out in front. Ben and Walt told you that, too. I'm telling you, I, I never left this place the other night. Mm-hmm. Is it possible you could have forgotten? Not all three of us. And you didn't loan your car to anybody? No, sir. I never loaned my car. Stayed right out there in front. What did you say you did after this place closed? As I said, I sat around and talked to Walt. He owns the place. Mm-hmm. What did you talk about? Oh, I don't know. This and that. I don't recall exactly. Did you go to work the following day? Yes, sir, I did. Seems funny you'd sit up all night talking and go to work. I don't have to be to work until I please. You know, I'm my own boss. Yeah. Would well, you run your business all by yourself, do you? No, I have two secretaries. They make out checks, keep the books. What kind of business did you say you were in? Business management. You know, the thing that bothers me is why you're asking me all these questions. Routine investigation. Doesn't sound very routine to me. I don't understand. We're on an assignment. During the course of that assignment, it became necessary to interrogate you. I still don't understand. Anything else you want to know? No, sir. I think that pretty well covers it. Something I'd like to know. Yeah. Is there a law against slowing down in front of a market? Mm-hmm. 
Ben and I felt that Bingham was lying for some reason that we were not aware of. All efforts were made to determine that reason. We made a complete search of his residence. His relatives, friends, and associates were interrogated. The two men who had alibied for him were checked out. No evidence was obtained to connect him in any way with the Wilson Market burglaries. A surveillance was continued on the three men. During the next two weeks, another market was burglarized. None of the three men could have been involved in any way. Another month went by. The burglaries continued unchecked. The newspapers had dubbed them the Lightning Bandits. There was only one exception to the title. By this time, they'd begun to repeat on markets, to hit again where they had burglarized a safe previously. December 3rd, 4 a.m., Ben and I were cruising the central area of the section not covered by stakeout. I figured there's only one way to beat this thing. Yeah, what's that? Ask for a transfer before they offer us one. Well, seems like every way we turn, we're stopped. No leads, nothing. Here it is almost Christmas again. Those market thieves started last Easter. Yeah, I know. Well, we got everything covered again tonight as best we can. We could just keep all the markets covered at one time. Well, that's been done a couple of times, you know that. Yeah, I know that, but keep them covered all the time till we get to them. If we had the manpower, we could do it. Yeah. You want to swing in close to the curb? Here's another market. Yeah. You see anything? No, nothing on this side. I can't see the safe in there, can you? No. Those vegetable counters are partially blocking it. Lights on, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this side's clear, too. Rear of the store backs up against that other building, doesn't it? Yeah, only a front and side entrance. You swing around again. Will you make a U? You see something? No. I'm not sure. Just pull back up in front again, huh? All right. Okay, this is fine. Want to kill your engine? Mm-hmm. You hear that? I'm not sure. Come on. You hear it now? No, it stopped. Come on. They're throwing vegetables at that front window. They're trying to draw our attention here. Now, you cover the side. I'll try to force them to you. Right. There's a news rack. Right. I see it. You want to shake him down? Yeah, all right. All right, stand still. Cover him, Joe. I'll see if there's any more besides these two. Right. Who tipped you off? If we'd have had a tip, we'd have gotten you a long time ago. That's it. Just these two. Somebody must have tipped you off. You couldn't be this lucky. Why not? You've had your share. The two men were taken into custody and were identified as Wilford Lawson and Thomas Greenfield. A check with R&I showed no previous record on either man. After a short interrogation, Wilfred Lawson admitted his part in all of the burglaries of the Wilson Brothers' markets. He steadily refused to give us any information as to the other possible members of the burglary gang. Thomas Greenfield was interrogated. He was the more timid of the two. He claimed that this was the first job he'd been on with Lawson, that he did not know of any other members of the gang, that he'd only served as lookout on this particular burglary, and that he was not deeply involved. In further investigation of the two suspects, Armstrong and Rubel found that they had been seen in the company of still another man. It was impossible to get any kind of lead on the remaining suspect. We took the matter up with Captain Wisdom. It was our combined belief that we should allow Thomas Greenfield to be released on the grounds that we believed his story about his slight part in the crimes. 
He was placed under close 24-hour surveillance. Thursday, December 6th, two days after we'd released Thomas Greenfield, we were called in Captain Wisdom's office. Yes, we played it the right way in letting Thomas go. How do you mean? Well, first of all, we passed one up last October. You remember Bingham? Guy driving slow past the market in Eagle Rock? Yeah. Well, he's the one we want. And these two letters, both postmarked today, we picked them up on that mail stop on Lawson. Uh, Where are they from, Thomas? Yeah. A couple of choice parts. Yeah, listen to this. A client says to tell you he's not sore anymore. Ever since that mix-up, him and Walt and Benny decided this was the best way to play it. He says he don't want no part of what's yours. And then there's a lot more here. It says he'll get an attorney for Lawson, and uh, he thinks he really put one over on us. Anyway, all three of them are in it all the way. Well, how does Bingham figure in it? We had him under surveillance, didn't we? You know, listen to this from this other letter. Oh, yeah, here it is. I've been talking with C.B. Clive Bingham, getting real clever now using initials. Yeah. I've been talking with C.B. several times only on the phone. He's really not sore. He only laid out since that time. He figured he might be hot. That's enough, isn't it? It's all there. It adds. Okay, you got one to roll on. Yeah. Go out and pick him up. This time we'll keep him. The story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. On March 22nd, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 88, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment, the results of that trial. All three suspects, Wilford George Lawson, Clyde Robert Bingham, and Thomas Llewellyn Greenfield, were filed on for burglary in the second degree. Wilford G. Lawson was filed on for 12 counts, Clyde R. Bingham for 6 counts, Thomas L. Greenfield for 3 counts, sentences to run consecutively. They are now serving their time in the state penitentiary. In view of the fact that the authorities were unable to prove the defendants were armed at the time of the burglaries and the stores were not inhabited, they could only be filed on for burglary in the second degree. Second degree burglary is punishable by a term of not less than one, nor more than 15 years. Ladies and gentlemen... We wish to gratefully acknowledge the Michael Award presented by the Academy of Radio and Television Arts and Sciences. The Academy voted Dragnet the finest program of its kind. It is with deep humility that Dragnet accepts this citation, the highest award bestowed by the radio and television industries. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police, W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all long cigarettes, has brought you Dragnet portions transcribed from Los Angeles. Stay tuned for Counterspy next over most NBC stations. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, 
planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Fatima Cigarettes is proud to present its Academy Award-winning radio program. The story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all long cigarettes, brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a homicide detail. A young mother is murdered in bed while her seven-year-old son sleeps by her side. The killer was vicious and cunning. Your job? Get him. You'll be amazed when you compare Fatima with any other king-size cigarette. The size is the same. They now cost the same. But in Fatima, the difference is quality. You see, Fatima is the quality king-size cigarette because it contains the finest domestic and Turkish tobaccos superbly blended. And Fatima is extra mild with a much different, much better flavor and aroma than any other long cigarette. So compare Fatima yourself. Fatimas now cost the same as other long cigarettes, but your first puff will tell you... Ah, that's different. Yes, in Fatima... The difference is quality. Buy Fatima. They're extra mild, with a better flavor and aroma. Smoke Fatima. The quality king-size cigarette. Fatima. Best of all long cigarettes. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step-by-step step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Monday, July 9th. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of homicide detail. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Thad Brown, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. It was 11.25 p.m. when we got to 543 West Bixel Street. Front door. Homicide? That's right. This is Friday. My name's Romero. Klein, unit 69. How are you? Partner's Thomas. He's in with the victim's mother and son. Back this way, sleeping porch. Okay. What's the story? Yeah, really a nasty mess. Looks like a shotgun. Victim's face is half gone. What's the name? Josephine Stevens, 28 years old. What do you got so far? Not much. Your mother's in a state of shock. Talk to the young boy for a minute. Pretty terrible. Here's the sleeping porch. Dear God. Yeah. You got a little kid by her side. It knocks the props out from under you. What do you got on it? Seems as Josephine Stevens and her seven-year-old boy were sleeping in the bed when it happened. Haven't been able to fill it all out yet, but from what the youngster told us, it happened about 30 minutes ago. I'd say it was a shotgun, too, wouldn't you, Joe? Yeah, looks like it. You can uh, see by the head of the bed here, it looks like shotgun pellets. Yeah. Uh -huh. The screen in the door here 
Looks like it was recently torn. Yeah, Thomas and I noticed that, too. We made an immediate search of the area. It didn't turn up anybody. Backyard, round the side, shrubbery. Didn't find anything. Yeah. We were careful not to step off onto the soft earth anywhere around. Didn't want a chance to destroy any prints or anything. That's fine. Did you talk to the girl's mother at all, Klein? Very little. She's still hysterical. Doesn't seem to know what she's saying. Couldn't tell us very much. Yeah, well, let's step into the next room, huh? The room's just the way we found it. Nothing out of order. Dresser drawers are all closed. Room Edmund prowled. Well, no, it doesn't look like the work of a burglar or a prowler. Well, a burglar or a prowler wouldn't be carrying a shotgun either, would he? The only thing Thomas and I found were a cut in the screen, the gate around the side of the house there. It was open. Crime lab been called. Haven't had time to do it right now. No, never mind. I'll take care of it. I want to call in anyway. Do they have a phone here? Uh, right in the kitchen there on that table. Okay, thank you. I figured we'd use some help, don't you? Yeah. Uh, right there, you left. Yeah, I see it. Thank you. Two six four three, please. Two six four three. Crime lab, Alan. This is Friday, Jay. Yeah, Joe. We're at five forty three West Bixel. Got a homicide. We're going to need prints, photographs, a whole deal, Jay. Looks like the woman was killed with a shotgun. Well, let me double check that address, Joe. Five four three West Bixel. Yeah, that's right. You got a phone out there? Yeah, it's Hollywood nine three one nine nine. We'll get right on it, Joe. Thanks. Say, Jay, could you transfer me to two five two one, please? Right. Sanchez, this is Friday. What'd you find out there? Oh, it's a bad one. Shotgun killing. Haven't got too much yet. We're going to have to have some help. What do you need? We need somebody to cover the area. We don't know what we got yet. Talk to the witnesses, neighbors, cover the parked cars. Right. Will you send out a broadcast for us? Alert all units to be on the lookout for a person or persons with a shotgun in their possession. Take huh? care of it right away. How many men do you think you need? Well, at least four crews. Could you get them out right away? Okay. Anything else? No, I'll fill them in when they get here. Thanks a lot, Sanchez. Right, Joe. All right, bye. Everything okay? Yeah. Klein says we could talk to the youngster. You don't think it'd do any good to talk to mother? Huh? She's still in bad shape. Imagine she'll be all right in a little while, but I think you just wasted time right now. Oh, I forgot something. What's that? I forgot to call the coroner. I'll take care of it for you. Well, would you take the boy into the front part of the house for us? Sure. Fine. Then if you'll just call Sanchez down in Homicide downtown, he'll notify the coroner for us. Right. Thanks a lot. Joe, you want to see something break your heart? No, yeah, what's that? Notice the blood on the floor there, leading from the sleeping porch to this bedroom here. Yeah. Look like small footprints, huh? They are. Little boys. Well, let's go in the front room. Yeah. This is a boy. Seven years old. Name's Charles. Right. Thanks, Glenn. I'll make that call for you right away, Freddie. Hello, son. What happened to my mommy? I'm sorry. You better take it, Joe. Yeah. Come over here to me, son. Charles, is that your name? Charlie. My name's Joe, Charlie. Yes, sir. Mr. Joe? Well, it's Joe Friday, son. Mr. Friday. Are you a policeman? Yeah, that's right, Charlie. Now, that other man in the uniform, Officer Klein? Yes, sir. He said you might be able to tell us what happened here. Do you feel like talking about it, son? Mr. Friday, do you know what happened to my mommy? Well, that's what we're trying to find out, son. We'd just like to ask you a few questions. She's hurt bad, isn't she? Did she talk to you? She wouldn't talk to me. Grandma and those other policemen wouldn't let me stay in there. Well, can you tell us what happened here? You want me to tell you like I told the other policemen? If you would, please. 
I wish you'd let me go in and see Mommy. She could tell you a lot better than I can. Well, she's hurt kind of bad, son. We just thought that maybe you'd tell us. Well, we were sleeping in the bed on the back porch. Mm-hmm. We just got to bed, and Mommy was reading me a story. And then I heard this man at the screen door. Did you see the man, Charlie? No, I didn't. Mommy wouldn't let me. Well, how do you mean, son? How do you know it was a man, then? Well, somebody was cutting the screen at the door. I thought it was a man. But you're not sure you didn't see him? No, sir, I didn't see anybody. It was dark outside. You heard somebody cutting the screen, though, is that right? Yes, sir. And then Mommy sat up in bed. I started to sit up, too, but she wouldn't let me. She pushed me back down and said, keep down. Mm-hmm. Can you remember exactly what she said, Charlie? She said just to keep down. That's all she said. Well, then what happened? I heard this big gun, and Mommy fell down on the bed again. I could tell she was cut. I could see blood all over her. Mm-hmm. I tried to talk to her, but she wouldn't talk to me. So then I went to get Grandma. Now, after you heard the gun, did you hear anything else? I don't know what you mean. Well, did you hear anybody running outside the house? Anything like that? I don't remember, and I don't think so. I got up and went into Grandma's room. I was awful scared. I don't know why Mommy wouldn't talk to me. She always used to when I was scared. Well, now, can you think of anything else that you might be able to tell us, son? No, sir. I just don't know why anybody would hurt my mommy. She's so good, she never hurts anybody. Where's your father, Charlie? I don't know where he is. They don't live together anymore now. Mm-hmm. How long has it been since you saw your father, son? Just last Sunday it was. Yesterday, I guess. I see him every Sunday. Well, do you have any idea who might want to hurt your mother? No, sir. Nobody. What do you think, Ben? Um, Charlie. Yes, sir? Did your mother and father seem to argue with one another very much? Before we moved here to Grandma's house, they used to argue all the time. That's when we lived in the apartment. Is that why you moved over here, son? Yes, sir, that's partly it. Mama had to work, and she didn't want to leave me alone here. So we moved over to Grandma's house. Mm-hmm. Do you think your father would ever hurt your mother? Did he ever say anything about ever hurting her? My daddy was always so good to me. He used to buy me all kinds of things. I don't think he was ever mean to anybody. See? Do you remember your mother ever saying she was afraid of anybody? No, sir. She was never afraid of anybody. How do you know that, son? She and Grandma used to always tell me that I'm the man of the family. As long as I'm around, they're not scared of anybody. Oh, uh I see. But when you talk to Mama, you won't tell her, will you? Tell her what, son? She always says that big men don't cry about things. When Grandma came out on the porch, she started to cry, and she took me into her room, and she cried some more. I guess I cried a lot, too. When you talk to Mommy, you won't tell her that, will you? No, no, we won't. I've never really known. Is that right? Do big men ever cry? Yes, son. They cry. p.m. The crime lab men arrived and went to work. They found three shotgun pellets embedded in the wall to the right and above the head of the victim's bed. Two additional lead pellets were removed from the bedstead above the pillow on the right side of Josephine Stevens' bed. This fact, in conjunction with the position of the hole ripped in the screen door, proved that the victim was sitting up in bed at the time of the shooting. This fact, too, showed why the seven-year-old boy lived and his mother died. Further investigation showed that the fatal shot was fired from outside through the hole in the screen door. The search of the surrounding area failed to yield the murder weapon or any additional physical evidence. 
The neighbors were all checked. They could add nothing to what we already knew. The few who had heard the blast from the shotgun thought it was backfire from a passing car. Units in the area of the murder picked up 14 possible suspects on the street and in the neighborhood at the time of the killing. They were all checked out and cleared of any connection with the crime. Josephine Stevens' mother, Mrs. James Edwards, was in a near state of collapse, but she managed to give us a statement. Her story corroborated that of seven-year-old Charles Stevens. Supplemental broadcasts and an all-points bulletin were put out to try and locate the killer. Ben and I drove over to 1543 East Workman Street to check out the husband of the murdered woman. Well, this is it, huh? Yeah, White House here. All right, let's go. Car park in the driveway. Yeah. The hood's warm. Car's been used recently. Yeah, you got your flashlight? Yeah, here. All right. Car's registered to Keith Stephen. Yeah, come on. Lights are on inside, huh? Yeah. Mr. Keith Stevens. Yes, that's right. Police officers like to talk to you. Want to come in? Yes, sir. Thank you. What's the trouble, officer? When's the last time you saw your wife, Stevens? Why? Well, when did you see her last? Well, I was over there Sunday, yesterday. Always go over every Sunday to visit my little boy, Charlie. My wife and I are separated. That's what we agreed on. And that's the last time that you saw her? Yes, it is. Why? Well, I'm sorry to have to tell you this. Your wife is dead. What's that? I'm sorry. You're kidding. She was all right yesterday. There must be some mistake here. No, sir. I'm afraid not. Josephine Stevens. You sure? 543 West Bexel Street. I gotta sit down. What happened? She was shot. How? I can't believe this. Well, we're working on it now. Somebody shot her while she was in bed. I just saw her yesterday. How, How did it happen? Was it an accident? No, sir. Somebody killed her. How about little Charlie? He sleeps with his mother. Is Charlie all right? Yes, sir. He's fine. He wasn't hurt at all. It was a small miracle how he came out of it, but apparently his safety was the last thing your wife thought of before she was killed. It's just terrible. I still can't believe what you're saying is true. Who in the world would do a thing like this? We want to know that, too. We need your help. Where's my boy? I better go right over and see my boy. He's in good hands with his grandmother. We just want to ask you a few questions, and then you can go right over and see him. All right. You gotta get whoever did this terrible thing. Yes, sir. We're gonna try. Well, how is it that you happen to be up this late at night? I just got home from work. I worked the swing shift at Gibney's. That's the steel mill down in Alameda? Yes, that's right. Did you work today? Yes, I told you. I just this minute got in. Swing shift. Uh, what hours would that be? Four to twelve. Did you work the full shift today? I did. You don't think I would have done this thing? Well, you have to check everybody. Is there somebody out at the plant that can verify the fact that you were out there during the entire shift today? Yes, my lead man and I always punch my time card in and out. How do you get to work? I drive. My car's right outside there, blue Chevy. Do you own any firearms? No, I don't. You ever owned any? No, never have. Didn't want to gun around with a boy. Let's see. Do you live here alone? No, since the wife and I split up, I live with another fella here. Mm-hmm. Where is he tonight? He's out somewhere, usually home when I get here. Do you have any idea where he might be? Does he go out much? He goes out quite a bit. He's going with some girl. Might be at a movie or something like that. Does he know your wife? 
Well, not too well, no. I think I took him over to the house one Sunday. He met my son, Charlie, and my wife. Try to take it easy, Mr. Stevens. Oh, I'm sorry. It's kind of hard to take. Yes, sir, we understand. This man that you live with here, what's his name? Carl Walters. Where'd you know him from? He advertised in the papers. He said he wanted somebody to share a small house with him. I answered the ad, and we seemed to hit it right off from the start. He's okay. What do you know about him? I know enough to know he's all right. I wouldn't want to get him mixed up in this. Well, has this Walters ever been in trouble? Has he ever been arrested? Not that I know of. He's a good guy. Fine army record. I see. Have you ever been arrested? No, sir, I never have. Any kind of an arrest, misdemeanor, anything like that? Never. You've never been in jail for any reason? No, sir, never have. I had traffic tickets, but I've never been in jail for any reason. I always paid my fines, never had any trouble. Have you any idea who might want to do a thing like this? No, no one. How did it happen? Did they break in the house? No, it wasn't burglary or anything like that. Somebody just wanted to do away with your wife. If you can think of anybody who might do a thing like this, it'd help. You know, we've been separated for a while. Maybe she took up with someone who'd do something like this. I wouldn't know. I can't think of anybody I know that'd do this. I see. She and I have had our ups and downs, or we wouldn't be apart. We argued time and again over the custody of Charlie, but nothing serious. Can't tell you what a shock this is to me. You say that you don't own a gun. Do you know of any of your friends or hers that might? No, I can't think of anybody. Well, this fellow Carl Walters, what can you tell us about him? Now, please, he's all right. He certainly had nothing to do with this. Well, we just want to be sure to check everybody out. If you can tell us, it may save him some embarrassment. Well, I realize you have to be sure, but please believe me, he's all right. You say he doesn't know your wife at all? No, just that one meeting. You're sure he couldn't have had any part in it? Absolutely sure. Uh-huh. What kind of a fellow is he? Average guy, I guess, likes to swim, plays a little golf. Always wants me to go out camping or hunting with him. Do you ever go with him? No, I haven't so far. He wants to go on weekends, and I like to see my son on Sundays, like I said. What does he hunt, do you know? He's not much of a hunter, really. He just likes to go out for ducks once in a while. Does he keep his equipment here? No, he doesn't over at his father's house. Does he ever hunt for anything besides ducks? No, I'm positive about that. He's always saying how he never could shoot a deer. Says he gets buck fever. Can't say I blame him. He ever tell you what kind of a gun he had? No, not that I recall. Still think he had a part in this? We didn't say that. What's his duck hunting got to do with it? Well, when you hunt ducks, you use a shotgun. You are listening to Dragnet. Authentic cases from official police files. And now... Let's look at our Fatima files. Listed under K. Kelly, Nancy Kelly, famous actress. She says... Between scenes, I like to relax in my dressing room and light up a Fatima. They have a really different flavor, and they're extra mild. Friends, more smokers now insist on king-size Fatimas than ever before. Because in Fatima, the difference is quality. Quality of tobaccos. The finest domestic and Turkish varieties, extra mild, superbly blended, to give you a much different, much better flavor and aroma. Quality of manufacture. Smooth, round, perfect cigarettes. Rolled in the finest paper money can buy. Manufactured in the newest and most modern of all cigarette factories. Quality. Even to the appearance of the bright, clean, golden yellow package. Carefully wrapped and sealed to bring you Fatima's rich, fresh, extra mild flavor. 
So if you smoke a king-size cigarette, compare Fatima. You'll find they now cost the same. But your first puff will tell you... Ah, that's different. Yes, in Fatima, the difference is quality. Buy Fatima. Smoke the quality king-size cigarette. Fatima. Best of all long cigarettes. Tuesday morning, July 10th, 1 a.m., we continued to question Keith Stevens about the murder of his wife. He could add very little to what he had already told us. We made a thorough search of his house and garage. We searched his car. We found nothing that would incriminate him in any way. 1.37 a.m., Carl Walters, the man who Keith Stevens lived with, returned home. We retraced his steps for the night of July 9th. All his time was accurately accounted for. We talked with his father. We were told that the shotgun had not been used for about ten months since last duck season. We looked at the gun and noticed that it was covered with lint and had not been recently fired. We talked to the plant foreman at Gibney Steel Mill. He verified the fact that Keith Stevens worked his full shift on July 9th and did not leave his job until 12 midnight. At this point, both men were clear of any complicity in the murder of Josephine Stevens. Tuesday, July 10th, 8 a.m. We made the usual routine check of R&I of the four people involved in the case so far. Josephine Stevens, the murdered woman, her mother, Mrs. James Edwards, the husband, Keith Stevens, and his friend, Carl Walters. Here it is, Joe, one package. Nothing on Josephine Stevens or Ms. Edwards. That's right. Carl Walters is clean. He kind of makes a liar out of the husband, Keith Stevens. It's his package. Yeah, or he forgot. Mm, let's see. Keith Stevens. Here's the arrest report, one only. Let's see. It's 4127A. Huh? Yeah, picked up from drunk, George. He didn't forget, Joe. This was on June 7th, last. Yeah, let me look at that officer's statement, huh? Mm-hmm. Let's see. Above suspect was picked up in the company of co-defendant Michael Duff, booking number 8023. Both suspects were drunk and disorderly at time of arrest. Their condition was such they were unable to care for themselves. No, he didn't forget. Hey, Mary. Yes, sir? Pull this package for us, will you, please? Booking number 8023. Give us a mug if he's got one, huh? What was that arrest date? June 7th, 51. Thank you. That's an outside chance. Huh? He lied once. Maybe he'll lie again. I suppose he was trying to prove by not telling us about this. Oh. Here you are. Oh, thank you, Mary. That's a little bigger package, huh? Yeah. Look, he's our card. He's done time in Quentin. Yeah. 1933, Grand Theft Auto. Did four and a half years. Paroled out in 37. There he is, back in again on suspicion of robbery. 1946, charge released. Picked up again, suspicion of robbery, released again. Michael Lewis Duff, alias Mickey Duff. Stevens is moving in pretty fast company. Yeah. Look here, this is the guy, all right. Here's that last drunk arrest. See, on that we saw on Stevens, June 7th. Yeah, mm-hmm. Is there a mug there, Joe? I'll see. Well, there's this one on that 211 arrest in 47. Yeah, I see that one. It's pretty old, though. It's a little worn. Kind of hard to see. Well, check that last arrest report on the drunk charge. Maybe we got one of those auto photo strips. That ought to do it. I hope so. Yeah, here we are. Let's see. Yeah, those auto photos are good mugs, aren't they? Yeah. What address did he give on that last arrest? 5234 West Main. No, all these other addresses are just transient hotels. That Main Street address, the most recent, looks like the best bet. This is probably why Stevens lied about being arrested. Yeah, let's see if he lied about anything else. 
We drove over to 5234 West Main Street. It was a small two-story rooming house. We checked with the landlady, and she told us that she had a man registered under the name of Michael Duff in room 20. She told us that he had just walked out a few minutes before we arrived, saying he was going down to the corner to buy a newspaper. We identified ourselves and stated that we'd wait in his room for him. We asked her not to tell him. She went upstairs with us and unlocked the door to room 20. We made a thorough search of his place. It was a two-room apartment. I searched the living room, and Ben went over the kitchen. Yo, come here. Yeah. Look here. Look, I'm up under the sink here, cradled in the goose neck of the drain. Yeah, shotgun. Yep. Yeah. Just a minute. It's been fired recently. I know. And this much fits in. Please don't. Found him in the pocket of one of his coats in the closet there. Twelve-gauge shotgun shells. Where'd you find him? In the pocket of a dress suit. That doesn't fit, does it? Not unless he's the best-dressed hunter in town. Mm. Sounds like he's back. Yeah. Get your hand out of that pocket, police officers. What's going on? Keep your hands out and open. Stand still. Here, Joe. You want to take this? Yeah. What are you doing carrying a gun, Duff? Anything wrong? You know better than that. What they tell you when they paroled you. That was a long time ago. They haven't changed the rules. I don't know what you're doing here in the first place. Go on over there and sit down. All right, if that's what you want. That's what we want. Move. Right now, do you want to tell us about it? About the gun? About both of them. The shotgun here on the table and this one I got in my hand. Well, you found that old shotgun. We found it. I haven't used that old thing for years. Just kept it as a keepsake. Haven't fired it for a long time. Don't even have any shells for it anymore. Except these two, huh? I don't know where those came from. Look, Duff, you're an ex-convict. We find two guns in your possession. Now, let's don't play games. Tell us about it. I haven't got anything to tell you. I would if I did. I just had a long talk with Keith Stevens. What'd he have to say? Never mind what he had to say. Let's hear your side of it. You wouldn't try to kid me, would you? Now, you listen, fella. We just came from a house over on Bexel Street. There's a woman lying in bed over there that took a blast from a sawed-off shotgun. You own a shotgun. It's been recently fired. You lied. You said you hadn't fired it. You said you didn't have any shells for it. Well, here they are. Now, look, they fit, don't they? Take a good look at it, mister. There's only one thing missing. Who pulled the trigger? Let's have it, Duff. Did Stevens tell you? We'll ask the questions. Now, come on. All right. I did it, but I did it for Stevens. Told me he'd give me $1,000 if I kill his wife for him. I haven't been paid yet. I'm still waiting to get paid off. You won't have to wait any longer. We took Michael Duff downtown together with a murder weapon. He gave us a full confession stating that Keith Stevens had offered to pay him $1,000 for the murder of his wife. He said that he and Stevens had planned it together. 1.30 p.m., Tuesday, July 10th. We drove out to pick up Keith Stevens. What else could I do? Is that how you justify the murder of your wife? It was her fault. If she'd have just tried to be reasonable, this never would have happened. People settle these kind of problems every day and they don't use a shotgun. You wouldn't understand. Unless you got a son, you'd never really understand why I did it. I've got a son. I don't understand. And you don't love him like I do. Couldn't stand the thought of never seeing him, having her take him away from me. And that's the way you want us to put it down. That you didn't want your child taken away from you, so you killed his mother. Not exactly. She was going to take him away. She wanted him to forget all about me. She wanted him off for herself. Did your wife tell you all this? No, of course not. Any fool could see that's what she had in mind. You mean just because of some argument that you and your wife had, you just assumed all this to be so? Sure. I knew she'd never give me a break with Charlie. Isn't that what always happens? And you never ask her how she felt? Never thought that you could stand on your legal rights? Never knew that what you're trying to make us believe seldom happens unless there's a good reason for it? Wasn't going to let her take my son away from me. Nobody could do that. Yes, sir, you're right. You lost him yourself. 
The story you've just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. On October 15th, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 84, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment, the results of that trial. And now here is our star, Jack Webb. Thank you. Friends, I'd like you to be the judge while I present our case for Fatima. Now, you've heard me say that Fatima is the best of all long cigarettes. Get a pack of Fatimas and compare them with any other long cigarette. Side by side, I'll admit a Fatima looks the same as any other king-size cigarette. But when you smoke them, you'll find a world of difference. In Fatima, that difference is quality. Quality that gives you extra mildness, a much better flavor and aroma. Compare Fatima, and I'm sure you'll agree with me. Fatima is the best of all long cigarettes. Keith Edward Stevens was convicted of murder in the first degree and received a life sentence. He is now serving his time in the state penitentiary. Michael Lewis Duff was convicted of first degree murder and received the death sentence. He was executed in the lethal gas chamber at the state penitentiary. Dragnet wishes to thank Sheriff Brian Clemens of the parish of East Baton Rouge, state of Louisiana, for the appointment of Sergeant Joe Friday and Sergeant Ben Romero as honorary deputy sheriffs. Our sincere thanks to Sheriff Clemens. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all long cigarettes, has brought you Dragnet, portions transcribed from Los Angeles. Stay tuned for Counterspy, next over most NBC stations. That wraps it up for tonight's show at 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. We really enjoy good reviews, so when you have a chance, say something nice about a selection of shows. Or maybe suggest some to us. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.